God bless you, and it's so good to be back again with you today. Thank you so much for coming, and we realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and fellowship with the other people there, so we bring that service to you wherever you are, and we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you open in your Bibles to the book of Genesis? That's where we've been. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to be studying in chapter 4 today. That's where we're going to be today, and we'll show those verses up here in the video for you just to make it easier for you to follow along. We're continuing in our Beginnings series, in the book of Beginnings. Hasifer Bereshit, the book of Beginnings, the book of Genesis. And today we've reached chapter 4. So I'd like to talk to you today about the sorrow of sin. The sorrow of sin. Let's look at chapter 4 and go through it together, starting in verse 1, shall we? It says, Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and she bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time, his brother Abel. That's how we say Abel in Hebrew. Now, I want to talk to you just real quickly about these first two verses. When the Bible says that Adam knew his wife is uh, Eve, that's God's way of saying that they had sexual relations. They were created man and woman, male and female. And God made them to where, as Adam said in, in the previous chapter in the book of Genesis, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So God, in making these two one flesh, they obviously would know each other. They would know about each other's hearts. They would know about each other's bodies. They would know about each other sexually. And so that's why it says in verse 1 in chapter 4 of the book of Genesis, Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord, or a boy, child, if you will, then she bore again, this time his brother Abel, or Abel, as you would say in English. You see, Eve was remembering what God had told her when God had punished them for eating of the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree with the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, you shall not eat of it, and the day that you eat of it, you shall die. But the serpent, as we read last week in the book of Genesis chapter 3, the serpent tempted Eve. Eve saw that it was desirable to look at, it was good for food, and that it was uh, desirable because it would make one wise. Remember, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. She was tempted on all three fronts, and she failed on all three fronts. That was her reasoning. That the, that the fruit of that tree of knowledge of good and evil was good for food, that it was pleasant to look at, you see, good for food, that's the flesh there, it was prosperous to the flesh there, and then good to look at, pleasant to look at, it was lustful to the eyes, it appeared to be good to her, and then the pride of life because she really wanted to be wise. And so for all three of those reasons, she disobeyed God and she took that temptation that Satan, the serpent, had given her. 
Now, after that, God came to Eve and to Adam and the serpent, and he pronounced the punishment on Adam, that he would always toil by the sweat of his brow in the land, trying to bring forth bread and, and food to eat. And it would be hard. Life would be hard. Before, it had been easy in the garden. God made everything happen. But now, Adam was going to have a tough existence. And for Eve, he says he's going to greatly multiply her pain in childbirth, and her desire would be to her husband, and she would be looking to him, you see. But that he would rule over her. You see, that's what God had said to Adam and Eve, to the serpent. He said, on your belly, you're going to crawl all the days of your life. You're going to eat dust. But then the prophetic thing where God indicated how he was going to save man eventually from sin. And he said to the serpent, he said, and the seed of the woman will crush your head, but you shall bruise his heel. Well, a bruise of the heel is the snake bites the man. And that's not pleasant. It can hurt. But crushing the head, that's fatal. That's fatal. And basically God told the serpent, and Adam and Eve heard it as well. He says, the man, the seed of the woman, he said more specifically, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. Now, here Eve is. She's pregnant, and she has her firstborn named Cain. Now, think about that. She's just heard the promise of God, the prophecy that her seed, the one that comes from her body, is going to crush the head of the serpent and destroy this sin and take sin away. And so now she's pregnant and out comes Cain. Eve probably thought of Cain as, this is the one. This is the one that God spoke of that's going to use, that God is going to use to take sin away, to crush the head of the serpent who deceived me and brought all of this sorrow on us. And Eve probably looked at Cain as the promised Messiah who would come, as the anointed one who would defeat Satan once and for all and remove sin again from creation. And it could be like it was before, before sin came. But then she must have been disappointed as she went through life, and we're going to discover in a little bit that Cain turned out to be a murderer instead. Instead of one restoring life, he's going to be one taking life from somebody. He's going to be a criminal. He's going to be an evil person who did evil things. You see, sometimes people see a prophecy from the Lord and they think that it will be fulfilled right then and right there. In their lifetime, right then, right there, with them, that maybe they're part of that prophecy. But you have to remember that God's got the perfect timing for all that He'll bring to pass. And it's better just to keep your eyes on the Lord and not on the people and not on the events going on in the world around you. You won't easily go wrong if you keep your eyes on the Lord. He'll lead you into the truth. He'll reveal His Word to you. He'll guide you through life. And He'll even cause what the enemy does to hurt you to work out for the good for you instead. So keep your eyes on the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Whether a day or a lifetime, wait patiently for the Lord God. Now we continue 
And it says, Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a farmer, basically. And in the process of time, it says in verse 3, It came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Verse 4 continues, says, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, we're going to talk about Cain here for a little bit and what happened. We really don't know from these verses why it was that God approved of Abel's offering and not of the offering of Cain. When the Bible is silent about a subject, it's generally good for us to be silent as well. You don't want to do what we call speculation or just guessing. You don't need to know that. If God didn't provide enough for you to know that and the reasons why, then you don't need it. Let me say it like this. It's enough for you to understand what the Bible will allow you to understand and be responsible and do those things. Stay out of what the Bible forbids you to do. Do what the Bible says to do. Believe on the Son of God and you'll be okay. If there's things in the Bible you don't understand and no one really understands, then leave it alone. Don't try to guess and make up something that makes you try to look spiritual to other people. You'll end up being foolish when that's proven wrong. And people will wonder why you're majoring on the minors. You know what I mean? They'll wonder why you're spending so much time talking about things that God didn't give you an answer to. Focus on the things that God has given you an answer to. Famous American president Abraham Lincoln said, It's not the things of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the things that I do understand, that I do understand and cannot possibly misunderstand. Those are the things that bother me the most. Here's what he was saying. He was saying, like, God requires me to do this, doesn't want me to do that. And he said it very simply and very plainly. I understand it. Now the responsibility is on me to do the things he wants me to do and not do the things he doesn't want me to do. I understand those things. Those are the things I better be concerned about doing and not doing. The things that God said to do and not to do. He wasn't worried about the things that no one knew the answer to. Because there's plenty of things that you know from the Bible that God requires of you. And you should be about your business doing those things right now. In time, the Bible says that we will know as we are known. What that means is that everything that there is to know, we will know one day. Even as we are known. What do you mean, as we are known, Pastor Stephen? Simply this, that just like God knows you, you will know about these other things. You will see Him, and you will see Him and be in His kingdom. And He will show you these things, and you will gain knowledge that you cannot have here on this earth. There's plenty of Bible to study and be responsible for, for now. And when God chooses not to comment on certain aspects of the Scripture, it's best for us just to move on to the next verses 
and then see what they have for us. But there are times when the Word of God gives us a little bit of a hint, gives us a bit of insight, when similar things are being spoken of elsewhere in the Bible. I've heard it said that the best commentary on Scripture is other Scripture. If you just look at a verse and you look at part of it and you go, oh, that's what God wants me to do, and you don't look at the context of it, then you might be getting yourself into trouble. How do you know that your interpretation of that verse is right? But if you see four or five other verses elsewhere in the Bible that talk about that same subject and say basically the same thing, then you can know that the interpretation that you've gotten for that one verse is good. But you don't want to just be one of those people that opens up the Bible with your eyes closed and you don't know where you open it and you reach down, you put your finger on a verse, you said, God, I'm going to do whatever you say for me to do here. And you look down, it said, Judas went out and hanged himself. Oh, no. And you know, well, I better turn to another one and see what else he says. And then it says, go and do you likewise. Wait a minute. Two different verses, parts of verses from parts of a chapter from different places in the Bible. You can make it say anything you want if you pick words from this page and other words from that page and words from this book and a sentence from this book over here in the Bible. That's not how you go through it. You wouldn't listen to a person talk that way, would you? No, of course not. And God has given you a message in His Word and He wants you to hear Him through. He wants you to hear what He's saying to you. Don't interrupt Him. Don't just cut in. He wants you to listen carefully to what he's saying and consider it all in context. For example, in the book of Leviticus, we read about grain offerings that are offered to the Lord. They're not offered for sin, but for thanking God and for praising Him. Now, grains, obviously, are raised from plants that come from the ground. And it's a grain offering, so it is biblical to give things that come from the ground. They weren't an offering for sin, as we said, but they were used for thanking and praising God. So it's not simply the fact that Cain's offering came from the ground and that Abel's offering was from his flock. It is interesting, though, that Abel offered a little lamb from the firstborn of his flock. Abel cared for his sheep. He fed them. He led them to the streams of water. He brought them to the green pastures. He protected them. They were close to his heart. He probably even had names for many of them, if not all of them. They were living, living creatures just like he was alive. God had even made tunics for Abel's parents, Adam and Eve, made coats from skin. So an animal had to die for Adam and Eve to have that coat. And Abel realized that these little animals would also be used by God to help take care of mankind. But Cain's offering was from the ground. It was just food. There was no connection between Cain and his offering. Now, I might be having a nice, big, juicy hamburger, and I look at that, and I go, Oh, I love this hamburger. But I'm not talking about I have affections for that hamburger. <laughs> I don't eat that hamburger because I have a place in my heart for it. Actually, I have a place right below my heart for that hamburger. And as you can tell, I'm not shy about eating those hamburgers. But anyway, Cain's offering was from the ground. It was just food. 
There was no connection between Cain's heart and that offering like there was in Abel and his sheep. But the real reason for Abel's acceptance and Cain's rejection here in Genesis 4 is given in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. Hasefer Evrim, the book of Hebrews, Beperek Chadisre, in chapter 11. It says there, by faith, Abel, Abel, offered a more perfect sacrifice than Cain. Well, wait a minute. That's the answer. What does that mean? By faith, Abel offered a more perfect sacrifice than Cain. In other words, Abel was not proud of his work as he offered it to God. He did not think that he was purchasing God's approval through his own good works. He did the best he could in selecting what he would bring to God. But in the end, Abel knew that it would be the mercy of God as to whether he was accepted or not. He relied on the mercy of God. He knew he needed God's works, not his own, to be approved by God. It's interesting also that later in the Torah, a Passover was a time when a lamb was sacrificed for a family, a single lamb to a single family. And it was used to cover the sins of that family. And then once a year, at the Day of Atonement, Bevrit, in Hebrew, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, a lamb was used to cover the sins of the entire nation of Israel. Passover, a lamb covered the sins of a family. Yom Kippur, a lamb covered the sins of the nation. And now the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world, is the one who covers the sins of all who believe on him and come to him. So it is interesting that Abel used a lamb to offer a sacrifice to God. And now continuing on to verse 6, it says in verse 6, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. You should rule over it. Now, God knew that Cain was angry. God knows everything. He saw that Cain was downcast and angry. Cain didn't understand why his sacrifice wasn't accepted and Abel, his brother's sacrifice, was. God knew that Cain was angry, but God was trying to encourage Cain to get past it and to take hope in God and to trust God to lead him in life. He was trying to get Cain to reject the anger and continue seeing God for his fulfillment in Cain's life. Now notice what God says. Sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. Hmm. That's really important. We don't want to skip over that just so easily. Understand this. Sin is not there to give you fun. It's not there to make you happy. No, make no mistake about it. Sin is there to destroy you, to take your life, and not just your physical life either, but to take everlasting life from you. Understand what the hideous nature of sin is really all about. Its true purpose, its plan all along, is to destroy you, to kill you. And it will entice you. 
It will lure you. It will lead you the wrong way. It will lie to you. It will deceive you. It will trick you. And it will do anything it can to take your life away. Because Satan is angry with God for casting him out of heaven and down to the earth. When he tried to elevate himself to be worshipped as God was, Satan was cast out of heaven and down to the earth. Well, God is the all-powerful creator of all things. Satan, even though he's a powerful angel, is just like you and I. He's a creature created by the creator. And there's nothing that Satan can do to get even with God. There's nothing that Satan can do to hurt God. God is all-powerful. He knows Satan's every move before he ever makes it. You wouldn't want to play chess with God. He knows all the moves you could possibly ever make, and he's already come up with all the checkmates to correspond to each of your moves, you see. That's the way it is with God and Satan. Satan knows that there's nothing he can do to hurt God. So he tries to hurt those whom God loves. And that's why he wants to destroy you. And he will do anything he can to take your life away from you and to lead you astray and to destroy you. He'll do anything he can to keep you from God's Savior, the Son of God, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He'll lie to you, deceive you, trick you. It's all part of his plan to destroy you. But in the end, the Messiah will destroy Satan instead. He is the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent of Satan. And so even though his own heel was bruised when he was crucified on the cross, he's the one who will finally have victory over the devil. God will win. He's the creator of all things. He's El Shaddai, God Almighty. He's Aviad, the everlasting father. He is God and you're his child. You just rest in him. Let him win that battle for you. It's not a matter of how righteous you are, how good you are, how holy you are. No, it's about how righteous, good, and holy, and loving, and merciful, and forgiving He is. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But now we see how fast and how far Cain falls when he's trusting only in himself. Oh, that's a lesson for us, isn't it? It says, as we continue reading in verse 8, now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, it says in verse 9, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground cries out to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the earth, which, the, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. Now we're going to talk about these verses for a little bit. God knew to all the questions. He knew the answers to all the questions he was asking Cain. When he said, where is your brother Abel? God already knew where Abel was. He knew what happened. But you see, God was asking Cain, even though he's all-knowing, because he wanted Cain to tell him the answer. 
He knew that answer already, but he was wanting Cain to confess his sin. God knew that forgiveness starts when a person confesses their sin. And it says in the New Testament, in the writings, in one of the books of John, it says, if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So you see, when God is asking that question about Abel, he's actually giving Cain a chance to confess his sin. But instead, Cain was basically lying by saying he didn't know where his brother was. and Am I my brother's keeper? And by the way, the answer to that question is, yes, you are your brother's keeper. You are here to help your brother and your sister, to care for your neighbor and all those in need, whenever and wherever you can. You see, you were made in the image of God. And your heart has the capacity to think on the same things that God heart, God's heart thinks on. You have the capacity to show love, to show mercy, to show compassion. And as God helps His children, you're to help your brothers and sisters. Now continuing on in verse 13, let's read it. It says, And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me this day out from the face of the ground, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Now, when you look at these verses that we just covered just now, you see Cain lamenting or being sorrowful about the situation that he's in. But so far he's given no indication at all that he's sorry for killing his brother. He's only sorry about his punishment. It's actually not a very severe punishment. Could have been a lot worse if you think about it where a murderer today can get killed. And here God exiles Cain from the garden and puts him in this land that's much harder to work with. Notice something else here. Cain is not sorry for what he did. He's only sorry that he got caught. How many people do you know like that? When they're caught doing wrong, they don't think about the wrong that they've done, only that they got caught. In fact, when some people do wrong, they try to blame everybody else or everything else for why they did it. Oh, I cut my finger while I was opening this package, and it's because the kids had the music on too loud. We try to blame everybody for any mistake or any problem that we do, anything that we do wrong. Well, I had to steal because I needed that to get to work, so I needed a car, and so I stole a car. And you're not thinking about the other person that you stole that car from. Well, guess what? They need to get to work, too. You're just thinking about how it's so hard on you because you're being caught for what you did wrong. You're being punished for what you did wrong. But again, forgiveness starts with confessing your sin. Nobody is to blame for your sin except for you. And as soon as you realize that, confess that sin to God, your healing can begin. But pride is one of the worst types of sin. Humble yourself before the Lord, asking Him for help, and He'll lift you up and restore you 
and heal you and give you a good start at life. Verse 16 then continues. It says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife. There's that term again. He knew his wife, had relations with her, and she conceived and bore a son, Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Now, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but the way I was raised, when you're a little kid, and especially the littler you go, the, the less expensive the presents are you, but people get you toys. Here, Cain is giving his son a city. Oh, guess what? I gave you a city. Ah, never mind, I know you can't walk yet, but when you can walk, maybe you can walk down this street and over here and see what I made over here and see all the people that I asked to live here. <laughs> Most kids get toys. Apparently Cain's son got a city. Who knows? To Enoch was born Erod, it says in verse 18. And Erod begot, or had a son called Mahuyael. Mahuyael and Mahuyael begot Methushael. And Methushael begot Lamech. Now this Lamech guy is going to be an interesting guy. But first of all, let's talk about something. A lot of people want to know, well, where did Cain get his wife? You see, because the Bible talks about Adam and Eve, talks about Cain and Abel. Where did Cain get his wife? And they think just because it doesn't talk about other people that God didn't make other people. But you're actually going to find out next week in Genesis 5 verse 4 that Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters. So you think about it. They married from among the other children of Adam and Eve. And they had plenty of choices. Why? Why are you saying that, Pastor Stephen? Well, think about this. The Bible is not really concerned with giving you a total genealogy of all of mankind. It's only concerned with showing you the lineage or the gene pool, the genealogy from Adam to Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, and from Abraham to King David, whom they said the Mashiach would be from King David, and from King David to Jesus the Messiah. That's the important thing. All these other genealogies that existed aren't important for getting the message of God's Messiah out. The thing that's important about the genealogies is did the prophecies that were spoken concerning uh, the Messiah being from the Jewish people, I will make you a light to the nations that you should be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. That he would have to be a son of Abraham to be from the Jewish people. Do you ever think about that? That okay, and then it says that he will be a son of David. And that David would have someone from his lineage on the throne forever and ever. He said, I will make you a priest of Melchizedek about the Messiah. He said, I will make you a priest of Melchizedek after the order of Melchizedek that you should reign forever. Melchizedek was, had no beginning, had no end. And the Messiah is the same way. And someone from David's lineage, from David's loins, will be king over Israel forever. And you know what? If you think about it, you can't be king over Israel forever and ever unless you can live forever. Oh, but wait a minute, Pastor Stephen. I've heard you say so many times that we can't live forever because sin brings death. That's right. Sin brings death, but the Messiah 
the Son of God who became a man and who gave his life to atone for our sins, take our sins upon himself, he had no sin of his own. Therefore, death could not hold him. The wages of sin is death. He didn't have any sin. So death couldn't hold him. That's why he was risen from the dead by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. That's why he will live forever. And he came the first time as a suffering servant to give his life for the sins of mankind. And now he will come again because he was received up into heaven and he's not in that grave because sin could not hold him. Death could not hold him. Death had no claim over him. And now he will come again to rule and reign as Hamelech bin David, the king, the son of David, of the lineage of David. So you see, all of these genealogies were meant to get us from Adam to Abraham to King David to the Messiah. So that all of the prophecies in the Tanakh about where he would come from and what lineage he was from, so that all of those prophecies could be fulfilled. Now, these other people, well, why were they marrying their sisters then, Pastor Stephen? Well, understand something. Adam and Eve and people then lived about 800 to 900 years. And they were having kids from less than 100 years old. So they could have had a lot, a lot of kids, you see. Most people today have like, you know, two, three, four, maybe, maybe five or more kids. But Adam and Eve living 900 years, if you were still healthy after 800 years and you still could have kids, you would have hundreds and hundreds of kids. And oh, by the way, they would have hundreds and hundreds of kids and they would have hundreds and hundreds of kids. And so the gene pool was not yet mutated with bad mutations because mankind lived so long. Think about what I just said. They lived such long lives that there wasn't enough generations to have these bad mutations show up in the gene pool. And it's estimated by some people like Henry Morris who wrote the book on commentary on the book of Genesis in a scientific manner, said there could have been as many as 120,000 people on the earth that came from Adam and Eve before they passed away at 900 and something years old. 120,000. Well, that's enough to house some of those people in that city that Cain built, right? Bad mutations hadn't really taken over the human gene pool yet, so people could intermarry. In fact, God had actually blessed people to multiply and be fruitful and fill the earth, so he was protecting them against any sort of intermarriage problems, you see. And so it wasn't, in fact, until the law was given to Moshe Hanavi, Moses the prophet, that marriage to a brother or a sister was forbidden. And God had protected the people up until that time. Now, another thing you need to understand is that God is protecting the people in this situation. They could have intermarried, and the population of the world was already soaring by the time that Adam departed the earth. So the Bible uses some of these people now even though they're not part of the lineage of Jesus the Messiah, it uses some of their life stories to tell us about lessons that we can learn from them about how to live or how not to live your life. 
prophecies that were spoken of elsewhere in the Bible will speak of those things. But then sometimes you talk about a character in the Bible that doesn't seem like he fits anywhere into any prophecies, but it tells us what he did. That's the way it is with verse 19. Let's look at it. Then this guy named Lamech. Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zilah. And Ada bore Yabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents, who have livestock. His brother's name was Yubal, which is where we get Jubilee from, by the way. He was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute. And as for Zilah, she also bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Verse 23 then continues, Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Silah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Now, let's talk about this guy, Lamech. He's a real character. He, he apparently thinks he's very important. He thought he could punish someone more than God could. God would avenge uh, Cain if someone killed him. He would avenge him sevenfold. And Lamech says, but if anybody does anything to me, it'll be seventy-sevenfold. He had a lot of pride in his life. He had a very high opinion of himself. He viewed himself as his own God, it seems like. In his own eyes, he was so important. I think Clint Eastwood said it like this. He was a legend in his own mind. But for a man who claimed he was so important, it's also interesting that neither Lamech or his seeds, his generations and ancestors, were mentioned anywhere in the Bible. Lamech passed away silently. Maybe he wasn't so important as he thought he was. It would have been better for him to be a humble man, a man who honored God and gave the glory to God. But now in verse 25, as we get to the end of the chapter, it says, and Adam knew his wife again. What, did he forget who she was? No, they had sexual relations again. And his wife again, and she bore a son named Seth. Now in the Hebrew, that's pronounced Shet. Seth, like an S-H there instead of just the S-E. But Seth, and she said, because God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. Now Seth, in the Hebrew, means appointed. So she named him Seth, or Shet, as, as you would say his name, Bevrit, or Hebrew. And verse 26, and she says, As for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he, he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, so we're seeing that sin and violence begin to spread rapidly through the infected hearts of civilization, of men. People became violent. There was greed. There was lies, selfishness, violence. It used to be a beautiful place. Then sin came into it. Sin doesn't make you happy. Sin doesn't give you a lot of stuff to enjoy and everything. No, sin destroys. Sin makes things ugly. Oh, you may have a moment of joy, but then you'll have a lifetime of sorrow. Sin, remember, 
is there not to make you happy or to give you things that make you feel good. Sin is there to kill you. Understand that once more. Sin is there to kill you. Make no mistake. Sin's desire is to totally destroy you. Think about that the next time you're thinking about that sin that you'd like to do. The world was now becoming a battlefield of greed, lies, selfishness, and violence. So man began to call on the name of the Lord. Now again, it says that Adam knew Eve and they had a son named Seth. But along the way, there were other children that they had, male and female. You know, you ever thought about something? This is a strange thought, just kind of as we're ending up. But Eve and Adam were created already mature. They were full grown, already mature. Adam was created a mature, intelligent man. Eve was created a mature, intelligent woman. In fact, when God first brought her to Adam, Adam took a look at her and said, this is woman. She should be called woman because she was taken from my flesh. And he really took his wife to him. God didn't bring Adam a little baby. He brought him a full-grown woman. Adam was a full-grown man. So as you look at the situation here, when Eve had Cain and when she had Abel, the first one must have been a real surprise. Out comes this little guy here. Go, well, that's a strange-looking man. You know, how did that little baby, you know, she didn't know it. Do these little babies grow? What happens with them? How come they look so different than my husband and me? She must have thought, she didn't know what a baby was like. She didn't know that they grow. Nothing like that, you see. It was her first one. She said, God's given me a man, you know. Oh, but he's a pretty small man at that. I wonder what's going on. But eventually she saw him grow and she start to understand the ways of God, that this is how he was going to do things. But the sad commentary, I'm afraid, on all of chapter 4 is that sin grows and spreads in the hearts of men. And men became so despairing, so despondent, that man began to call on the name of the Lord, it says as the last sentence in this chapter. That men begin to call on the name of the Lord to rescue them, to help them, to help come again to them. The men begin to call on the name of the Lord. And next week in chapter 5, this is really important, we will see how God answers the people and reveals His plan to save mankind from sin. That's what we're going to be in. And the amazing thing is, is that's the end of chapter 4. But next week, this chapter that we'll be looking at, we'll be looking at Hebrew names. And hidden within those names is an amazing story that tells the entire gospel step by step. All the way in the first of the Bible. The first of the Torah, the first of the Tanakh, the first of the Bible in chapter 5 of the book of beginnings tells in detail the gospel of how God will save us from sin by sending His Son to pay for our sins with His own life. You'll see the entire gospel spelled out through the Hebrew names. It's an amazing chapter. Don't you miss that. Seeing the gospel revealed and spelled out right there in the Hebrew names will be an eye-opener. Right from the start of that very first book in the Torah, the book of beginnings, we see the mission 
and the life of the Messiah described exactly as it would happen. Don't miss it. Now, why don't you give your life to God today, right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear your cry and He'll answer you. And He'll rescue you from that darkness, it's that cloud that's all around you. He'll shine His light through on your heart and you'll be given newness of life. He'll change you into a new person. Throw all that bad history and baggage away. You'll be completely new, given a new start. And He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. And that's guaranteed by God Himself. We want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. You can repeat after me. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on your Son, Jesus the Messiah, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. Over time, you'll begin to see the wonderful changes growing in you that God is making in your heart. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him and His Word. And talk to God every day in prayer. He's going to do wonderful things in your life.